Hi, thanks for listening. In 20 seconds or less, I wanted to ask if you would consider supporting the show with a one-time donation of $1 to $3. The funds go to subscription fees, equipment upkeep, and a general sense of well-being. Links in the show notes. And again, thanks for listening. Okay, on with the show. Chapter 5 The engine wound down to a distant hum as the electrical repair truck disappeared over a rise in the highway. As the sound faded to nothing, Jacob snapped awake. He didn't move as he got his bearings, only slowly realizing where he was. He gathered himself and scrambled up the hill to the highway. Nothing. He looked east then at the concrete under his feet. Stooping down, he picked up some pebbles, next to which was the faintest outline of tire marks. Jacob stood and rolled the pebbles around in his hand. He looked west. All that greeted him was morning stillness, the world and all its creatures not yet awake. But some creatures never slept. The thought spurred him on, Tracking the walker had forced him to come out on the highway, east of where he had originally parked. Jacob turned west and started walking. Mark sat, holding the steering wheel, and stared out through the big windshield at the road sign that read, Marshall's Pass, Turn on Headlights. Around or through, he said. Beverly chewed her lip and for the tenth time cut her eyes, between the tunnel and the highway behind, reflected in the side mirror. Mark flexed his fingers on the steering wheel and sighed, trying not to let the frustration get to him. He thought about doing some of the relaxation techniques Dr. Weber had taught him. The controlled breathing and focused thinking strategies meant to help him function with a degree of normalcy amongst groups of people had been mildly effective. When they had first heard the broadcast and decided to go for it, Beverly had asked him if he was ready, for the journey, and to be around people again. He had joked that there was not a better cure in the world for fear of large crowds than a zombie apocalypse, that large groups of people might not be the problem they used to be. It was true. After the incident at Sunny Island, just a step out the door took a month of behavioral therapy. The dead walking had a clarifying effect on him. It was like his mind knew it had a job to do and could no longer tolerate the luxury of being broken. I don't know, Mark. It would definitely be quicker to go through. But going back to the exit and driving around gives us a better chance. In case, you know, Beverly said. Mark continued to stare straight ahead. I mean, I hear you. I'm just saying that if we turn around, it's going to take the better part of a day to get the distance we can go in, I don't know, a lot less time, he said. Beverly continued chewing her lip and looked at the tunnel entrance before again cutting her eyes to the mirror. It'll be fine, 
Mark said as he flipped on the headlights and pushed down on the gas. What are you doing? Beverly said, almost in a panic. Making an executive decision, Mark said as he drove into the tunnel. It wasn't a particularly big mountain, but it was big enough. Added to that was the creeping pace he was forced to drive. The highway through the mountain wasn't any more narrow than the highway outside, but it had become a choke point nonetheless. The headlights played across smashed and overturned vehicles. Unable to drive a straight line, Mark had to negotiate the big truck through a maze of mechanical carnage. All of it headed east. The scene told the story of people moving fast, of the insatiable desire to self-preserve, and the fatal carelessness that can result. The big engine raced and idled as he drove around what he could, and pushed out of the way what he couldn't. In the shadows of the tunnel, something else moved and pushed through the darkness. Mark? Beverly said. I see them, Mark said increasing his speed through the maze. Looming from the blackness on either side, the undead had been attracted to the new stimuli of light and sound. The tunnel was no longer a choke point for the living in their cars. As the horde moved along its circuitous route, their meandering brought them to this tunnel. Mindless in their migration, they did not seek to go around, but bunched up, pushing and squeezing through the dark passage. Invariably, some were pushed to the sides and in between the detritus of the once fleeing. These bumped and wandered along in the maze-like cavern until, perhaps jarred loose by the return trip of their macabre kin, they were replaced by others whose turn it was to wander in perpetual darkness. It was they that threw themselves at the electrical repair truck. Look out on your left, Beverly said. Mark cut the wheel hard to the right, and the big truck rocked and lolled with the momentum. The front fender dented as it made hard contact with a spike-haired zombie donned in a soiled and torn, sequenced western shirt. I think that was one of the dicks, Beverly said, as Mark struggled to right the truck. The truck lights shone on the horror in front of them. All around, the dead began to close in. Mark was forced to slow to a crawl, as he inched through the snarled tangle of twisted steel. Sensing their prey, the dead closed in and assaulted the truck from all sides. They slammed themselves into it and clawed and hit at it with their hands, now nothing more than filthy talons. In the passenger seat, Beverly gripped the handhold above her head with one hand and clung to a fearful Tommy with her other. She could only watch as the way of escape started to close off. Mark whipped the wheel first left, then right, as he careened through the death and darkness. As they plowed through a Stratus and a Corolla, the road again opened up. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, Mark said as he hit the gas and tried to put distance between them and the biters. He glanced over at Beverly and the two shared a quick smile. Movement caught Beverly's eyes and she whipped her head back to the front of the truck. Look out, she said. Ambling across the road and coming directly into their path were three hulking walkers. They wore football uniforms, complete with shoulder pads and helmets. Behind them and to the left was a wrecked bus. On the side were the words, 
River City Rough Riders. Mark turned the wheel hard to the right, but it was too late. He smashed into what was left of the Rough Riders' defensive line and sideswiped the tunnel wall. He overcompensated, and the big truck lurched hard to the left. The momentum, combined with the impact of the wall, sent the big truck crashing over on its side. It slid across the highway before coming to a screeching stop. Inside the truck, Mark felt concrete and broken glass underneath him dig into his cheek. Above him, Beverly hung suspended by the seatbelt. Tommy clung to her, crying. Behind them in the road, the dead advanced. Get Tommy out of here, Mark said. At first, she seemed unresponsive, but gradually her confusion began to dissipate as Mark's shouts cut through her frog. Beverly, Beverly, you have to go! Get our son out of here, now! Beverly nodded and pushed at the spiderweb of cracks in the side window. The glass splintered and fell around her in tiny pieces, cascading over Mark below. Go, Tommy, I'll be right behind you, she said, pushing her son out of the truck. Beverly was about to follow when she stopped and looked down at Mark. He was pinned in his seat by the seatbelt he couldn't undo. She rushed toward him, grabbing the belt and pulling at it. A guttural rage erupted from her as she fought the nylon strap. Mark grabbed her hands and held them in a tight grip. He did not yell at her, but spoke in a calm and even tone. Beverly, you have to go. You have to go. Beverly stopped and stared at her husband, as if through a haze. Mark, I she said, her words failing her. You're my girl, and I love you, Bev, he said. A passionate kiss, and then the moment was shattered by the sound of Tommy's voice outside the truck. Mom! Beverly rushed to the window above her, a mother's protective love making her desperate. When she had cleared the window, she turned and looked down at Mark. He stared back up at her with an almost serene look in his eyes. A second scream from Tommy shattered the silence, and she was gone. Outside the truck, Tommy was bathed in the white light of the truck's high beams. He bounced in nervous agitation and pointed back past the truck into the darkness beyond. In the inky blackness, Beverly heard the shuffling sound of many feet. Above that emanated the low thrum of the groaning dead. Come on, Mom! We have to hurry! Tommy said. Beverly rushed up to her son. Tommy, your father, he... Tommy cut her off. He'll catch up to us, Mom. Come on! Tommy grabbed his mother's hand and pulled her away towards the pinprick of light at the other end of the tunnel. Beverly followed. Her eyes fluttered, both at the realization that her son was now oblivious to the loss he was suffering and in an effort to clear her mind of the devastation that she painfully knew was all too real. Chapter 6 Jacob saw the exit and took it. It was the last one before Marshall's pass. Through the pass was quicker, but it was a tunnel, and Jacob didn't do tunnels. It wasn't a fear of the dark, or enclosed spaces, or cave-ins he was afraid of. Maybe it was a little fear of the dark, but Jacob knew better than to venture in somewhere he didn't have a clear line of sight. He took County Road 45 instead. From there he passed through fields and valleys, eventually hitting Rural Route 17, 
It was a short jaunt on County Road 92 leading back to the I-70, and the overlook on the other side of the pass. The horde went in one end of the tunnel, and when they came out, Jacob would always be waiting for them. He checked his watch and hit the gas. Beverly and Tommy shuffled along the I-70 heading west. The gunshots they heard from inside the tunnel had divergent effects on them. Beverly knew it was the last stand of her beloved. Another last stand. Tommy bounced along beside her, and she knew he was confident that it was his father, his hero, taking out zombies so he could protect them, that he would meet them around the next bend in the road, if not that one, the next. He came back before. Beverly was numb, and she did not have it in her to try and make Tommy understand. Not right now. They had passed numerous wrecks, some that looked drivable, but none that were. The sun was beginning to set as they emerged from the tunnel. Beverly and Tommy ran. She did not let them stop until her confidence that they were not pursued was stronger than the burning in her chest. Now, fatigue and mind-numbing grief only allowed her to move at a snail's pace. West, on the 70. The dead behind her suffered no grief. Fatigue did not slow them down. Five miles on the other side of Marshall's Pass, her confidence evaporated as the vanguard of the horde caught up with her and her son. She saw them, a group of thirty runners. Crying out, she grabbed Tommy's hand. At first, he seemed not to understand. She pulled him off the road. And then he saw them, too. Jacob lay prostrate, his rifle in position, scope sighted on the road. The horde would emerge from the tunnel and move across land in a southwesterly direction, following the highway past the overlook. Jacob always felt like he could relax just a little when he took shots from here. The horde was still packed in tight coming out of the tunnel but would start to spread out as they trickled from the bottleneck that was the tunnel exit. By the time Jacob arrived at the overlook, he could almost take his time scanning the malformed faces of the dead as they passed. He was ahead of the horde now, and he waited. He checked his wind and elevations. Peering through the scope, he scanned the kill zone. Maybe today, Betsy, he said to himself. Movement caught his eye at the edge of the scope's periphery. He brought the rifle to bear, zeroing in on heads and faces, looking for the recognizable. He blinked in surprise at the two faces that filled the reticule of his scope. Raising his head, he looked down into the valley below. The field just off the road was covered in scrub brush and dotted with the occasional rock formation. Running from the road into the field were two figures, a woman and a child. At first Jacob thought they were the advance of the dead, but they didn't look like any of the dead he had seen. These looked too alive. They had looked terrified, something else the dead didn't ever do. He stared transfixed at the two running specks in the valley below. If they were running, then something was chasing them. The thought hurled itself to the forefront of his mind, and he looked again through the scope. Moving off the road and giving chase were the runners, 
tightly packed. He moved the rifle rapidly between the pack and the woman and her child. They were ahead of the dead, but the dead were closing. He looked up a final time to confirm that what was happening was not just happening in his scope. Abandoning his position, he grabbed his rifle and ran to the jeep. Beverly gripped Tommy's small hand and pulled him after her. She could hear him breathing and knew that he would not last much longer at this pace. Her own breath crashed in and out of her lungs like the waves in a storm surge. It was her own grief and sense of loss that had kept her looking behind them, back the way they had come. She knew Mark was gone, but some part of her wanted to believe, like her son, that Mark had survived and was catching up. Something was catching up to them, but it wasn't her husband. Beverly and Tommy ran from the road and across the rock-strewn field, hoping that the dead would not follow, that she and Tommy might hide among the boulders and not be seen. As she and Tommy ran, the dead followed, and she knew that her hope was in vain. She turned her head and looked back. Her worst fears were confirmed as she saw the runners behind her, closer now than on the road. She cried out as she looked forward. Her cries turned into screams as she dug her feet into the ground and tried to stop. Tommy's momentum brought him crashing into her and threatened to send them both toppling over the edge of a steep drop-off and to the rocks below. She scanned left and right, but the ledge continued in both directions. The dead propelled themselves at her and her son. She grabbed Tommy and pressed him against her, turning his face into her side. She took one step, then two, back towards the ledge. She probed the icy depths of her fear for enough courage to do what she had to do, to make sure that neither she nor her son ever became one of them. She could feel the updraft from the canyon below and knew she was close. Buried against her side, she could hear the frenzied whimpers of Tommy. It was then that she heard another noise, the drawn-out whine of a vehicle's engine. Jacob knew that the thirty dead chasing the woman and child across the field were the vanguard of the massive horde, a horde that even now pushed themselves through the tunnel. Down in the valley was not somewhere he wanted to be. When he had seen the two figures run off the road, he knew they were not like the others. He did not consider that what he had seen might not be real, his delusions gaining strength. As he drove across the highway and out into the field, the thought now began to gnaw at him. Was he chasing ghosts? And would those ghosts, like the sirens calling to Odysseus, lead him to his destruction? He saw the dead in the distance, running towards the cliffs. Between the edge of the cliff and the dead was a rock formation, jutting from the earth like a stone finger. A plan sprang to his mind, and Jacob raced ahead of the pack to the spire, bringing the truck to a skidding halt in the dirt. He jumped from the truck and ran to the front. Grabbing the large metal hook, Jacob pulled several lengths of steel cable from the winch. He wrapped a loop around the spire, and secured the hook to the cable. He allowed himself only one look back as he dived into the truck. The dead seemed to forget the woman and her child as they barreled towards him, incensed by his presence, desiring only to feed. Slamming the door, Jacob threw the jeep in reverse and careened back towards the dead. With one hand on the wheel, 
Jacob turned his head and measured the rapidly decreasing distance between himself and the runners through the back window. When they were almost upon him, he cut the wheel and in a flanking maneuver circled around them and headed back towards the boulder. Part of the training at the police academy was defensive driving, so steering his jeep full speed in reverse was not a completely unknown skill to him. As he passed the spire, he made another turn of the wheel and headed back towards the dead. The winch on the front of his jeep, which had been letting out cable at a feverish pace, locked tight as he mashed the stop button on the interior winch controls. The dead, who had turned back to follow the jeep, were dragged by the tensioning cable into a tighter pack and flung as one against the spire. They struggled mindlessly against the silver coils that constricted them. As a python strangles its prey, the cable squeezed the pack tighter, against each other and against the tall boulder. They groaned and continued to struggle forward, even as the first of them were bisected. A wet sloshing sound as torsos separated from legs and fell. As they fell, the cable gave slack, but Jacob continued to pull the coil tighter. The jeep's engine raced and its tires gnawed and chewed the ground. The vehicle bucked and jumped as it met the new resistance of the confined dead. A second of slack and another row of the severed dead fell to the ground in pieces. A few more feet, more dirt and rock churned beneath the jeep's all-terrain tires, then cable met boulder as the last of the pack toppled at the waist. With no more slack, the jeep bucked wildly, prevented further backward movement by the cable, now entwined around only rock. Human. Extinction level 1.5.